0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 5th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace.
1: And I'm Melissa Topshir with today's top stories. Trump is arrested and appears in court
0: in New York. U.S. House Speaker McCarthy confirms he'll meet with Taiwan's president on Wednesday.
1: The U.S. military says it killed a top IS leader in Syria.
0: Wisconsin votes in a pivotal Supreme Court election.
1: US officials claim February's alleged Chinese spy balloon collected US intelligence.
0: Russia continues to make gains in Bakhmut.
1: Florida passes a bill allowing concealed carry without a permit.
0: Amnesty accuses El Salvador of systematic abuses in its purge on gangs.
1: Australia bans TikTok from government devices.
0: And a massive fire destroys a clothing market in Bangladesh.
1: Our first story involves Trump's arraignment. The ex-president pleads not guilty. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Times, Reuters, The Wall Street Journal, CNBC, and CNN. On Tuesday, former U.S. President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records after being indicted on Thursday, becoming the first ever former president to face criminal charges. The indictment was unsealed after the former president's plea alleging that Trump concealed the publicizing of negative information about him in the run-up to the 2016 election in violation of election laws. The charges against him, which each carry up to four years in prison, pertain to accusations that he paid two adult film stars to conceal their alleged affair with the former president. His former lawyer has admitted to coordinating payments to the women, but Trump denies the affairs. Neither the charges nor a potential conviction will have a legal bearing on Trump's current presidential campaign because the Constitution doesn't require candidates to have a clean record. New York Supreme Court Judge Juan Merchant reportedly scheduled the next hearing for December 4th. Trump headed back to his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida after the arraignment, where he's expected to address his supporters later on Tuesday night.
0: All right, those were the facts that our sources agree on, and here is where they diverge. Let's start with our Democratic narrative from Huffington Post. Beyond the clear evidence against him, including his former lawyer serving prison time for facilitating this exact hush money payment, Donald Trump is terrified of this case as he has absolutely no control over the process. His fate is now in the hands of a New York jury, and no bombastic tweet or whining press conference can expel that reality.
1: And here's the pro Trump narrative provided by the Federalist. Each and every criminal case against Trump is as farcical and politically motivated as the next. This spectacle is based on low level misdemeanor charges that Alvin Bragg, who openly campaigned on going after Trump, unashamedly decided to elevate to felonies. The political nature of this case is the same in the Georgia and DOJ investigations. Americans are witnessing their ruling elites rewrite the rules with no fear of retribution.
0: And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives provided by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 31% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030.
1: What do you think it was like selecting a jury for this trial?
0: I'm fascinated by that process anyway. Like, I, I have a fantasy of a very uh, lame and mundane fantasy of, like, being in jury duty for some cool trial sometime. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. Um, to have someone who doesn't have an opinion one way or the other on like him or lump him, like one of the most famous people in the world, must be really difficult. That's true.
1: Getting 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 someone who hasn't been pushed to one side or the other.
0: You know, maybe it's a whole jury of like Unabomber-esque recluses that just have no connection <laughs> to the outside world. Let's hope that's what it is. That
1: sounds like a good sampling of the American yeah, population. It does. That does.
0: <laughs> U.S. House Speaker McCarthy is to meet with Taiwan's president on Wednesday. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, CNN, Fox News, NBC News, and Reuters. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, is scheduled to meet with Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen Wednesday when she makes a stopover in California during her trip to the Western Hemisphere. The bipartisan meeting between Tsai and U.S. officials was announced on Monday by McCarthy's office, but the statement stopped short of detailing which members of Congress, other than the Speaker, will attend it. Beijing has threatened retaliation and voiced its objection to the meeting, with a spokesperson for its foreign ministry saying the country opposes any form of official interaction and contact between the U.S. and Taiwan. It added that the ministry considers such an interaction a violation of the One China policy. The U.S. acknowledges China's claim to the self-governing democratic island of Taiwan as part of its country, but has never officially recognized this under the so-called One China policy. Last week, Tsai made a stop in New York, where she spoke at the Hudson Institute think tank on her way to meetings on the island's Central American diplomatic allies, Guatemala and Belize. Despite last year's visit to Taiwan by then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, prompting the PRC to launch live-fire military exercises, the island has not detected any changes to China's usual military deployment around the Taiwan Strait since last week.
1: Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that story. We'll begin this round of spins with a pro-China narrative from the Global Times. China is fully within its rights to respond to any suspected violation of the one-China policy as it sees fit. If President Biden wants to engage in better relations with China, he'd be wise to ensure McCarthy tones down or even cancels his meeting with Tsai. Otherwise, China's military aircraft and naval vessels in the region might have to send Taiwan a message.
0: And the anti-China narrative comes from the National Review. China has no right to tell U.S. officials who they can and can't meet with, so the CCP propaganda should calm their saber-rattling. China's harassment of Taiwan is undignified and the CCP already looks weak due to hints that its threatened response will be kept proportional to the relative profile of the meeting. If China doesn't want trouble in the region, it shouldn't cause it.
1: And here's another nerd narrative from the folks at the Metaculous Prediction Community saying there's a 1% chance that China will launch a full-scale invasion of Taiwan in 2023. You right. think uh, Kevin McCarthy and, and Tsai Ing-wen were like, your place or mine?
0: I lived in San Francisco as a young adult, like my early 20s, and the train stopped running at like 11 p.m., and that was like a huge deal. Totally changes the nature of your situation. This was pre-Uber and cabs in San Francisco, at least in the mid-2000s. It wasn't like Manhattan where you go on the street and a bunch of cabs drive by. There was few and far between. And also, some people lived on the other side of the bay. Some people lived in Oakland. So you needed to catch that train- Oh, Even yeah. if you got a cab, it's a $75 cab ride to get over the the, the bridge. So, Ooh, yeah, it like everyone's nightlife just depended on it was like way worse because of that 11 o'clock deciding, going back to your point, her place or his place or hers. You know, do you live in Oakland or San Francisco, man? Let's figure this out.
1: <laughs> in our next story, the U.S. military claims to have killed a top IS leader in Syria. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CNN, France 24, Syria HR, Arab News, and Sky News. The U.S. military has announced that it killed Khalid Aid Ahmad al-Jabouri, who it accused of participating in the planning of Islamic State attacks in Europe in an undisclosed location in Syria via a drone strike. No civilians were reported to have been killed or injured. United States Central Command, or CENTCOM, said in a statement that al Jabouri was a senior leader who developed the leadership structure for IS. CENTCOM Chief General Michael Carrilla said, though IS has become degraded since its territorial defeat in 2019, the group is still able to conduct operations within the region with a desire to strike beyond the Middle East. The UK-based Syria Observatory for Human Rights, or SOHR, claimed that the strike occurred in the northwestern Syrian region of Idlib. The SOHR also reported that al-Jabouri was killed while speaking on the phone as he walked in the open near the place he was staying. A UN report claimed that IS and its affiliates posed a threat to international peace and security in the second half of 2022, and that the threat increased in and around conflict zones in which it has a presence. The U.S. has continued to target IS's leadership across Syria. Last month, Hamza al-Hamsi was killed in a U.S. raid, and Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al karashi was killed in February of 2021.
0: All right, thanks for that rundown, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from CNN. It's always good news when an IS leader is killed, as it mitigates the group's ability to conduct terror attacks outside its areas of influence. The U.S. will continue to counter IS and the threat it poses to the world at large.
1: Here's an establishment critical narrative from Newsweek. This operation was an illegal violation of Syria's sovereignty. Though Damascus and Washington agree that IS is a terrorist organization, the U.S. had no right to violate Syria's airspace in order to continue its policy of extrajudicial killings under the guise of counterterrorism. That is very specific. They killed him and reported that they killed him while speaking on the phone as he walked around the open, like in front of his Airbnb or whatever. Right. <laughs> I guess it was probably not an Airbnb.
0: It was a Verbo, but... <laughs> but yeah. Oh yes, because he he had he had the whole thing to himself. That's what a, you know. They don't. He right. didn't just have a room. It's the whole house. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. He obviously had a Verbo. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wisconsin votes in a pivotal Supreme Court election. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wisconsin Examiner, Fox News, BBC News, and CNN. Voters in Wisconsin on Tuesday headed to the polls to elect the newest members of the state Supreme Court, with the winner determining the balance of power on the court that's currently split with three liberals and three conservatives. Conservative Justice Patience Roggensack is retiring. Roughly $42.3 million has been spent on the race, the most expensive court race in U.S. history. Liberal candidate Judge Janet Protazowicz has spent nearly $12 million, while conservative challenger Justice Daniel Kelly has spent about $2.2 million. With divisive issues such as abortion and the drawing of legislative maps hanging in the balance, spending is triple the previous record of $15 million spent on a 2004 Illinois election. Many recent Wisconsin elections have been tight and had national ramifications. One hot-button topic is Wisconsin's 1849 law that effectively would ban abortion. Crime has also been a major issue, especially since Protazowitz has a record of sentencing decisions made while serving on the Milwaukee County Court.
1: Okay, those were the facts on that story, and we'll start with the Democratic narrative from Alternet. If Kelly wins, abortion rights and labor unions could be decimated in Wisconsin. His support for loose gun laws and willingness to let fossil fuel companies pollute the state also makes him the lesser candidate. Even worse, tilting this court to the right could open the door for former President Trump to succeed if he challenges election results in the state in 2024.
0: And Town Hall brings us the Republican narrative. The biggest issue in this race is Protazowitz's soft-on-crime track record. Wisconsin can't reward her for all of the dangerously lenient sentences she's handed out to violent criminals. If Wisconsin believes in law and order, this race will go for Kelly.
1: U.S. officials claim February's alleged Chinese spy balloon collected U.S. intelligence. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, The Guardian, Reuters, and The Independent. On Monday, NBC News, citing one former and two current senior U.S. officials, reported the alleged Chinese spy balloon that flew across the U.S. in February gathered real-time intelligence on several U.S. military sites, despite President Joe Biden's administration's attempt to intervene. According to the anonymous officials, the information allegedly collected came from electronic signals possibly generated from weapons systems and communications from personnel. The U.S. shot down the balloon, which was the size of three school buses, off the coast of South Carolina on February 4th, a week after it was first detected. But before being shot down, the balloon reportedly flew in a figure-eight formation over several sensitive sites. The Biden administration responded, saying it's unable to confirm the report and that investigations are currently underway. Meanwhile, in February, U.S. officials downplayed any potential breach, saying the balloon's collection abilities only provided limited added value for China compared to what it can collect using its satellites. China continues to deny the balloon was a government spy vessel, maintaining that its presence over U.S. territory was an unexpected and isolated event that the U.S. overreacted to.
0: All right, we have a Republican narrative on this story from Red State. The Biden administration can't be trusted to give the American public the facts or to protect the nation from foreign adversaries. It misled the public about the balloon every step of the way after failing to shoot it down before it could become a problem. It's now continuing this trend by downplaying the severity of the balloon's consequences.
1: And here's the Democratic narrative from CNN. The Biden administration has and continues to share all pertinent information that is able to. From the onset, the State Department acknowledged that the balloon could possibly collect intelligence and is still investigating. The Biden administration has done everything within its ability to protect the U.S., including taking the balloon down when it was safe to do so.
0: And we have a pro-China narrative on this story from the Global Times. The U.S. is incompetent in dealing with crises because of the constant fighting between its political parties. The PRC civilian airship wasn't a threat. Yet Biden shot it down to look tough in the face of Republican criticisms. Now he continues to be attacked by his political foes, but also has put U.S.-China relations at risk with his overreaction. China can't trust the U.S. as a strategic partner because of its political dysfunction. Have you ever been in a hot air balloon? No. I have. I'd like to. I have. It's a little Mm. scary. I mean, it was a little scary for me, but I also learned that fear isn't real because so I was afraid when we were going up, you know, when we were like five, 10, 20, as we're going up, I was getting more scared. Yeah. And then we flow around for a while. And then when we started going down, I felt better, but mm. now we're like 200 feet up in the air. Right. So why am I feeling better now that we're descending? It was just shows that you, the fear was just a thing in my head. It wasn't That's real. a
1: really good point. I mean, yeah, you, you acclimated. Well, you're an adaptable human.
0: Well, but- thank you. Russia continues to make gains in Bakhmut. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Institute for the Study of War, Newsbeezer, Ukrainska Pravda, Guardian, Evening Standard, and MSN. On Monday, the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, a U.S. military think tank, confirmed Russian advances in the city of Bakhmut after Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of the Russian mercenary force Wagner PMC, claimed to have captured its center and raised the Russian flag over its City Hall on Sunday night. This echoed Denis Pushilin, head of the pro-Russia Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, which is fighting alongside Wagner, who said pro-Russia forces have since extended their gains in Bakhmut, claiming they have reached close to the city's main railway station. Meanwhile, in the early hours of Tuesday, Russia launched a drone attack on Ukraine. According to Ukrainian officials, 13 of 17 drones were shot down over the regions of Odessa and Mikalev, with one drone striking a business in Odessa, causing a fire that was extinguished by morning. There were no reports of civilian casualties. Elsewhere, lawyers for Evan Gersevich, the Wall Street Journal reporter facing espionage charges in Russia, have filed an appeal against the decision to hold him in pre-trial detention, a spokesman for the Moscow District Court said on Monday. He faces up to 20 years in prison if convicted. Meanwhile, Daria Trapova, the 26-year-old accused of blowing up a cafe in St. Petersburg on Sunday, killing military blogger Vladlin Tartarsky and reportedly injuring at least 42, was charged with terrorism and remanded to pre-trial detention on Tuesday. This came as Maria lavova Bolova, the Russian Commissioner for Children's Rights, accused by the International Criminal Court of illegally deporting children outside of Ukraine, alongside Russian president Vladimir Putin gave a press conference denying the allegations saying the commission always acted in the best interest of the children in question
1: Thank you Scott for laying out the facts today on that story here's the pro-Russia narrative from TASS Russia continues to make gains in Bakhmut with all Ukrainian supply routes in and out of the city under the control of artillery fire It's only a matter of time that Russian forces claim complete control over the Donetsk city
0: And the anti-Russia narrative comes from U.S. News & World Report. Fierce fighting has already been going on in Bakhmut for months, and even if Russia prevails, it will have lost so many men and so much equipment that the result could hardly be celebrated. A Moscow victory in the region might be a symbolic gain, but would provide little strategic benefit in the wider conflict.
1: And we have another nerd narrative, and this time it says there's a 6% chance that Russia will capture or surround a large Ukrainian city before June 1st, 2023. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. In our next story, Florida passes a bill allowing concealed carry without a permit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Forbes, The Daily Caller, NBC, and The Daily Wire. On Monday, Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation that eliminates the requirement of a permit to carry a concealed firearm, making Florida the 26th U.S. state to pass a constitutional carry law. The law, which passed 27 to 13 in the Senate and 76 to 32 in the House, allows eligible citizens who are at least 21 years old to carry the weapon without having to obtain a permit or pay a fee. The bill also leaves in place previous background check requirements and requires that those who carry without a permit have a valid ID on their person and readily provide it to law enforcement if asked. Those who fail to provide a valid ID face a $25 fine. The non-public event, with only bill sponsors, legislative leaders, and gun rights advocates in attendance, came as a University of North Florida poll showed 77% of respondents were somewhat or strongly opposed to the legislation, a number that reportedly included 62% of Republicans. Meanwhile, the National Rifle Association said it was a NRA spearheaded initiative and that it applauds the decision.
0: All right. Should be no surprise we have some diametrically opposed political narratives on this one. Let's start with the left narrative from Tennessee Lookout. The pro-gun lobby uses several myths to sway the minds of decent pro-gun Americans. Unfortunately, these myths can and have led to tragic increases in gun violence and death. Gun violence is shown to increase after permitless carry laws go into effect. The dangers of lax gun laws are understood by most Americans, which is why not only civilians are against such measures, but large swaths of law enforcement across the country as well.
1: And here's the right narrative from Guns America. While any side of an issue can drum up curated statistics to bolster their political arguments, the truth is that permitless carry laws don't lead to an increase in violent crime or murder. Beyond the data, common sense dictates that criminals, by definition, don't follow the law. Constitutional carry doesn't necessarily lower crime, but it does allow law-abiding citizens to carry more easily and thus protect themselves from criminals who never cared about the law in the first place.
0: El Salvador is committing human rights abuses in their purging of gangs. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Amnesty International. Common Dreams, the Manila Times, BBC News, and El Pais. Amnesty International on Monday published a new report alleging that El Salvador's authorities have committed systematic human rights abuses since a state of emergency was declared last year. The rights group alleged that the year long war against gangs has resulted in more than 66,000 arbitrary detentions, as well as enforced disappearances, torture, and the deaths of at least 132 citizens in state custody. It also accused the country's government, judiciary, and security forces of weaponizing the criminal justice system to unjustly imprison a large number of Salvadorans, mostly believed to be innocent civilians. Last month, Salvadorian President Nayib Bukele extended the state of emergency, initially decreed for a period of 30 days on March 27, 2022, to curb gun violence for the 12th time stating that the measure allowed the Salvadoran population to feel a sense of security. The government also recently opened a new mega-prison, with the capacity to detain more than 40,000 detainees, so as to house gang members who Bukele said will live for decades, all mixed, unable to do any further harm to the population. Bukele's anti anti-gang policy remains popular with Salvadorans, with his approval ratings having recently surged to around 90%. According to government data, the country experienced a homicide rate of 103 per 100,000 inhabitants in 2015. In 2022, it had dropped to 7.8 per 100,000.
1: Our first is a Narrative A spin from Bloomberg. The war on gangs has produced an extraordinary change in El Salvador, which recently celebrated a 300-day streak without a single homicide. The emergency decree has reduced violence and proved popular in a country that, over three days in March 2022, reported the violent deaths of 88 people. The state of emergency hasn't violated human rights or suspended public liberties. It has only imprisoned terrorists and reduced high crime rates, making the country safer.
0: And Narrative B comes from Wola. Amnesty's findings and demands chime with evidence of mass human rights abuses revealed through the leak of a government database, including the unlawful detention of children and mass arrests without investigation. Impoverished Salvadorans are being criminalized, rounded up, and wrongfully imprisoned, despite the absence of any affiliation with gangs. The current state of emergency is eroding democracy and civil rights in El Salvador, and is being used to further the government's campaign of silencing opponents and independent media.
1: In our next story, Australia bans TikTok from government devices. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, NPR Online News, CNN and DW. On Tuesday, Australia banned Chinese-owned social media app TikTok from all federal government-owned devices amid data and security concerns, with Attorney General Mark Dreyfus stating the measure would come into effect as soon as practicable. Exceptions are to be made on a case-by-case basis, subject to security precautions. Australia is the last of the Five Eyes intelligence partners to implement the social media ban following the U.S., U.K., Canada, and New Zealand. TikTok has also been banned by the European Council, the European Parliament, as well as the European Commission. TikTok, owned by ByteDance, has repeatedly rejected accusations of sharing data with the Chinese government. The general manager of TikTok in New Zealand and Australia, Lee Hunter, accused the decision of being driven by politics and claimed that the company had previously contacted the Australian government about its security concerns. In 2017, China passed a law requiring firms to hand over personal data to the state if it were deemed necessary for national security. Meanwhile, it was announced earlier this year that Chinese-made surveillance cameras would be removed from the offices of Australian politicians, also due to security concerns.
0: All right, we have an anti-China narrative from The Guardian. The data collected by TikTok poses a real security risk. While there's no definitive proof that China has used such information, given the current international climate, such a measure couldn't wait any longer. With Australia likely to follow the decision-making of the U.S., there may be a nationwide ban on the app in the near future.
1: And here's the pro-China narrative from People's Daily Online. It's the U.S. and the West, not China, that seek to use tech companies for political gain. The likes of Google, Facebook, Microsoft and Amazon effectively run the global Internet, while those who profit attempt to distract the public through baseless accusations that they themselves are guilty of. Once again, the West is focused more on politics than fairness.
0: And there's a nerd narrative from Attaculus. They say there's a 30 percent chance that the U.S. will ban TikTok nationwide before 2024. There's a guy on TikTok, Nicholas Crown, who does really funny skits how rich people versus really rich people do such and such a thing it's it's he's both of them but he just like wears glasses or doesn't wear glasses yeah he and he like the rich person will be like impulsive and petty and greedy and whatever and he's awful and then the really rich person will actually be like insightful kind even though he's privileged and all these different things but the thing i like the best about him is that he has this, like, ongoing narrative. The rich people, the rich person, and the really rich person are also, like, friends. They know each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's, like, this whole arching narrative. It's good.
1: Yeah, mm. oh, that sounds fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Nicholas that, Crown.
1: What is this called again? TikTok?
0: Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll
1: have to check it out. Yeah.
0: Well, check it out while you can.
1: Yeah. Before it's gone. Oh, what will you do, Scott?
0: I have so little... Our final story, a massive blaze at a Bangladesh clothing market. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Independent, Guardian, Free Press Journal, and The Business Standard. A massive fire erupted on Tuesday at Bangabazaar Market, a popular clothing market in Bangladesh's capital, Dhaka, destroying at least 3,000 shops ahead of the Eid Festival later this month. Though no deaths have been reported, given that the fire erupted around 6 a.m. before most shops had opened, at least eight people were injured in the blaze, which destroyed Banga Bazaar before spreading to three adjacent markets. The fire was brought under control by 600 firefighters after more than six hours, and about 450 police officers were deployed to maintain law and order and prevent looting. According to fire officials, the market neither had any fire extinguishers nor a fire protection system. The cause of the fire is not yet known. After a deadly fire erupted in the Gulistan unit of Banga Bazaar in July 2018, the Banga Bazaar markets and surrounding buildings were declared dangerous in terms of fire safety the following year. Banga Bazaar is home to the country's largest wholesale and retail market for ready-made garments, known for selling international fashion brands such as Tommy Hilfiger.
1: Narrative A comes from the Clean Clothes Campaign. Industrial fires are common in commercial places in Bangladesh because of government indifference, lax regulation, and poor monitoring and fire safety arrangements. The nation must develop a credible and accountable health and safety regulation structure and take responsibility for the tragedies that have already occurred.
0: And Narrative B comes from BD News 24. It's not the first time a deadly fire has erupted in Bangabazar. Managed by the DACA South City Corporation, the market suffered at least six minor to medium fire incidents and was declared risky in 2019. If only businesses and local authorities had heeded the warnings, such a loss could have been avoided. Thanks
1: for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 5th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.